0: involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show.
1: <laughs> this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM.
0: And from the border of liberty and prosperity, and the highway to the north, the Safety Wars. We're coming to you a lot later today. That's for darn sure if you caught my uh, youtube live last uh this evening you know where i was so we started the all-star season little this week for my son and they did not have uh the software running authorized to broadcast the game live on their software platform that they use so i said no problem just put it on youtube live Congratulations, New City All Stars! They beat the Stony Point. This is Triple A. Eleven years, they beat the Triple, and uh, they, they beat the Stony Point All Star team. This is all part of the Little League World Series thing that goes on. See on TV. This is like, no, I guess they have a huge, it's like a huge tournament that goes on and on and on. How's everybody doing out there tonight? I want to make sure we're on the air. So, uh, some other updates uh, for you. Not on last night, uh, or yesterday, I did not have time to really prepare uh, because I had an emergency from a client. Uh, no, nobody got hurt or nobody got killed. It's just that uh, we had an emergency come up. We had to get stuff going. Sorry about that. So uh, we're going to try something a little bit. So uh, we get a lot of comments on training, what kind of training we do, uh, talking about outreach training, and I wanted to talk about general industry outreach tonight. Why general industry, not construction or something else? Nobody talks about general industry. We, uh, as uh, everyone here knows, or if you don't know, you know, you're going to find out right now. I'm an outreach trainer in general industry, construction, maritime, which includes three disciplines in maritime, and disaster response worker. So in September, we plan on doing a whole series on disaster response disaster preparation, that sort of thing, which is you know, originally why I left corporate America to do that sort of thing way back in the day. Can't believe we're coming up on 19 years. Uh, so what I'm going to try to do, this is supposed to work. Here. And we'll see if it works. Do, do, do. Not coming up on. Okay. Supposed to be sure. Oh, there we go. We are there. It actually did what it was supposed to do. I can't believe it. Okay, so let's address it a little bit more. Please bear with me. One to one. And, here we go. Okay, how do I get this? Bear with me here. Oh, this is the first time I've really done this. How does that look out here? And stop sharing, let's see here, one by one.
1: And we're gonna do share.
0: Window, general industry. And I think we're just going to have to go with it until I figure this out at another time. Okay, so we're going to talk about outreach training for general industry and uh, what does it entail here uh, with this. And now I'm really little on your screen. So, uh, all right. So I put this together uh, yesterday, and then we got interrupted. So there's four different types of training for outreach. You have construction, general industry, maritime, shipyards, marine terminals, longshoring, and disaster response. Those are the ones. So what's general industry outreach training? What is it and what isn't it? It's voluntary, right? All this outreach training is voluntary, and it can held in person only unless you have some type of special permission from directly from osha and it's not so easy anymore now that covid is over uh a lot of uh places you no know, uh are, are uh no during covid i mean i did at least eight or nine of these from what i can recall i'm probably wrong on that number uh for the university i used to work at uh voluntarily uh i'm sorry uh I didn't work for, no I uh worked did all of this stuff for them right uh online because you didn't have on uh in-person courses so I had to go and fill out a very lengthy uh permission slip um and what it came down to was that we had to have somebody else on the line with me because you're training you have either Zoom or Teams or whatever platform you're using for this and no, it had to be scheduled ahead of time and everything else. So, what ended up happening was you'd have to have one person taking attendance all the time, the other person training. And it got uh, everybody got used to doing it uh, with that. A lot of people feel that's the better way of doing it. One of the questions is, is why aren't we uh, doing it all online, uh, right? All the companies. Very very long history, but it comes down to is that when online training first started, started uh, computer based training CBT uh, was the old term. Uh, a lot of people went on and they started doing in outreach training, and some of it good, some of it bad. As we recall, what happened in 2010 when they started to crack down on all this stuff, uh, they did away, uh, they forbid it, but there was a lawsuit and discussions and threats and things back and forth. And what ended up happening was the uh, government only allows like eight different uh, uh, companies. It used to be nine, but one of them stopped doing it. Eight different companies, as far as I know, to do outreach training online. Uh, I'm not going to advertise for them. You can go look them up. And it, it sucks. I mean, I've taken a couple of those online. I have to retake the 30-hour course. It's probably going to be online. I don't have time to do it in person or uh, anything. And I'm, I tell you, 30 hours, it takes you 40 hours to do it because you have internet connections that are uh, slow. You have you no know, monotone uh, people delivering the training like this. And it, it's a bear. Nobody likes doing it. Uh so what happens is they're I think one of their business models is that they're hoping people pay for the class ahead of time and it goes for two to three hundred bucks in that range. And they get so bored that they stop doing it, then they pay two or three hundred bucks again to start it all over again. But some of the advantages, pardon me, i can't I have a drinking problem. Can't make it in my mouth. Some of the advantages of this. You get the knowledge on the most common safety hazards that are in your workplaces. Basic knowledge in the course is usually not in company training, right? Company training is like two hours, a little bit of site-specific stuff. Uh, you give the awareness of the so of civil rights, your civil rights, mainly that you have a right to a safe and helpful workplace for your recognized hazards. And uh, at the end of this, everyone is more aware of what their roles and responsibilities are in this. Often. OSHA, uh, especially in the construction industry, they, uh, they're they able to uh, – you know, uh, this is like a uh, negotiation tactic by the companies. Well, we'll send everybody out to OSHA 30-hour training, blah, 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 10-hour training, what have you. Uh, and uh, uh, what ends up happening is the uh, uh, you can get a reduction on your uh, – fines right and everything else i gotta try uh fix this overhead here so uh, a couple of years ago while i was researching this uh yesterday and the day before a couple of years ago i came across this one guy uh, on the osha website and i got a phone call from him a couple of years ago uh he wanted to do osha 30-hour training and he said well how long is it gonna take i said 30 hours how about ten hours. How long is that going to take? I said about ten hours, and he said not about. It's going to be ten hours. Well, you can't do it more quicker. No. Well, it turns out I found his citation was for a roofing company in North Jersey, and he got a failure to update thing because he agreed to send everybody out for uh, outreach training, and lo and behold, he didn't do it, and he got actually got cited for not uh, holding up his uh, end of the bargain with OSHA. Wow, who knew? So uh, it's intended to teach employees about their rights and some awareness. Even the 30 hour course, which is pretty comprehensive, is still an awareness level course. And they talk uh, right about specific OSHA requirements, hazards. It's not a, a standards course. Uh, do we teach a standards course? Do we do that? We can do that online because it's not an outreach course, but uh, it's not a uh, thing of standards. So basically the course is broken down into either 10 or 30 hour training, and you have three different types of topics, mandatory, elective, optional, uh, or optional. So uh, what happens is once this starts, training has to be, you uh, within 90 days and complete or the certain the certifications you have to receive within 90 days, meaning you take the training, I apply it to OSHA, you get the certification within 90 days. And it's a completion of the whole course within six months and a maximum of seven and a half hours of training per day. Some of the disclaimers with this, I'm going to say with this uh, tr- uh, discussion, all of this is subject to change with OSHA regulations and requirements. So every couple of years, they change the requirements of these classes. Last week, I was in a maritime, the Maritime Update for this. And one of the updates was from 25, uh, you were not allowed to have more than 20% of the class in video. So for example, if you're not an expert in one area, you can get a video and put that in, and that counts as your training, right, to supplement it. So, for example, a lot of people struggle with electric. So there's an electric video. They get an electric video, what have you. Okay, great. Now that's up to 25%. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, this is a lifetime certification unless requirements change. A workplace requires renewal. So, for example, when I was in the oil industry, they require a renewal every four or five years, and then they did away with it. Or let's say the employee does not demonstrate they learned anything. You say, well, Jim, what, why wouldn't they do that? Well, it's real simple. Uh, they buy it on the street. Happens all the time. Illegal as hell. It's a felony. But, hey, people buy stuff on the street. And it is an awareness-level training. So what are the topics that are normally in here? This, they could be anything really. Uh, no, you have mandatory, optional electric, everything in there, but basically everything in the 1910 standard is open game. So, what are some of the topics? Intro to OSHA, walking and working surfaces, exit routes, electrical, uh, personal protective equipment, HASCOM, low-borne pathogens, safety and health programs, fall protection industrial hygiene in general industry confined space entry and forklift operations like an intro and remember everything needs to be tailor-made for the audience meaning if you have a bunch of uh, tradesmen in there laborers that's one type of class you got to teach with that very hands-on I've taught classes where they're all engineers scientists and PhD level people guess what that's a different kind of class now you're going to teach different vocabulary, different way of discussing things with them. So you have the outreach emphasis. What's the out- outreach emphasis? Preventing injuries and illnesses. You should have a good understanding of the hierarchy of controls, and that's the, uh, where you're going to try to uh, eliminate a hazard, substitute for uh, a more hazardous uh, thing, uh, a, a less hazardous activity or a condition for, right? All right. Uh, you're trying to make things safer more or less, how do I say that? You substitute a less hazard, uh, more hazardous uh, condition with a less hazardous condition, right? Recognizing or awareness of occupational hazards and you have to go through the outreach guidelines and what they're in there, what they, they tell you you have to do. So we normally start out with an introduction to OSHA. That's usually, that's one hour, could be more, better not be less workers rights under OSHA, employers and employee responsibilities, occupational safety and health standards, laws, regulations, company policy, industry standards in general, and how to report OSHA violations, right? If you want to d- drop dime on your employer uh, what the procedures are. Walking and working surfaces, uh, which are one of the most common occupational hazards, slip, trip, and fall hazards from the same level and at height. You're talking about exit routes, how to recognize exit routes, requirements for the workplace, the psychology of choosing exit routes there is a psychology behind that and how not to manage exit routes. So this would be one of the you know retailers uh, that uh, you know we've been discussing on the program uh, blocked exits, clearly marked exits, that sort of thing. Electrical hazards in the workplace, PPE. Where uh, PPE is the last resort and choice, right? That you can make. Uh, Basic PPE, right? Gloves, hard hats, eye and face protection, noise and hearing protection, respiratory protection. Powered industrial trucks. That's the next one. So that's basically what it comes down to here. And this is my uh, stuff here. That was an errant uh, thing. Where did that come from? Uh, Hascom is another one. Safety and health programs, talking about basic leadership elements in safety and health programs, what's required when you get hired and required training, management responsibilities for industrial hygiene. We're talking about chemical hazards and assessment in the workplace. Noise, radiation, heat would be another one. Cold, Uh, general industry, confined spaces, that's 1910-146, what the overall hazards are, what you're required to do. Things of that nature. It's not a full-blown class. It's awareness-level class. And that's us here, right? Who we are and everything else. So we're going to stop sharing. I hope you enjoyed that uh, brief thing, and we'll tidy that up and re-release it. That's basically where I'm going. Very thirsty tonight. Very hot out there. So we're going to go to commercial break and we will come back to you in a minute.
1: In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold,
0: This is Safety Wars, broadcasting to our brothers and sisters in the occupied territory of behavior-based safety. Get out your secret decoder ring. Here is your nightly message. Blame fixes nothing. Blame fixes nothing. Okay, so uh, that's and you want to hear from Jessica. I know you want to hear from Jessica tonight. OSHA recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy. That's right. I'm your father. All right. uh, We're going to talk. All right. uh, So the other night we were talking about euthanasia here. Uh, I'm sorry, demographic issues. Tonight we're going to talk about some others. We're going to talk about euthanasia and something else here. And uh, let me see, I had I thought I had the article here, AP News, and it was on Euthanasia in Europe. All right, so uh, this is off of Associated uh, Press, and although we'll get to that in a minute here. Hold on. And you're going to say, Jim, why do, why do we cover all this stuff going on in, no, uh, it wasn't on AP. It was, yeah, it was from the AP, right? Why do we cover this? Well, we talk about safety wars and threats to your life and everything else. And this, uh, are we going to talk about controversial things? Yeah, let's talk about controversial things here. Because this is, uh, right, been an issue for a lot of years. Uh, with a lot of people out there uh, is where are we going with a lot of this stuff, these social policies and Northern Europe has been, uh, uh, no, we talked about demographic issues. Let's talk about this one. A little bit controversial here. Some Dutch people, this is from the Associated Press 17 hours ago from, uh, and it's Wednesday, June uh, 28th. So this is from this morning, early this morning. And the article is by Maria Cheng, right? Several people with autism and intellectual disabilities have been legally euthanized in the Netherlands in recent years because they say they could not lead normal lives, researchers have found. the Cases included, again, this is not a right-wing source or a left-wing source. This is the Associated Press. And this ain't uh, the other wars that's out there. The cases included five people younger than 30 who cited autism as either the only reason or a major contributing factor for euthanasia, setting an uneasy precedent that some experts say say stretches the limits of what the law originally intended. In 2002, Netherlands became the first country to allow doctors to kill patients at their request if they met strict, pardon me, Requirements, including having an incurable illness causing unbearable physical or mental suffering. Between 2012 and 2021, nearly 60,000 people were killed at their own request, according to the Dutch government's euthanasia review committee. To show how the rules are being applied and interpreted, the committee has released documents related to more than 900 of those people, most of whom were older and had conditions including cancer, Parkinson's, or ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Uh, so uh, there was a study by Britain's Kingston University they published their findings in the journal of BJ Psych open in May this past May uh, among the 900 people with publicly posted case files 39 of them were autistic and or dis- developmentally dis- intellectually disabled a handful were elderly, but 18 of them were younger than 50. Many patients cited combinations of mental problems, physical ailments, diseases, or aging-related difficulties as reasons for seeking euthanasia. In 30 included being lonely as one of the causes of their unbearable pain. 8 said the only causes of their suffering were factors linked to their intellectual disability autism. Social isolation, a lack of coping strategies, and inability to adjust their thinking. There is no doubt in my mind that these people were suffering. Turfree Winch Setch was one of the authors. But, it is, but is society really okay with sending this message that there is no other way to help them and there's better off to be dead? Uh, so, and then. And the article goes on to say how hard it is to uh, quantify this because a lot of this stuff is confidential. And uh, people are disturbed over this. I'm disturbed over this on this. Uh, Do we need to be aware of it? I'm not going to give any opinion on it. I think you could. I think I uh, just be discussing this uh, tells you a little bit about my opinion of this. Uh, Where are we going? Especially the demographic combination of a demographic shift to an older population where we go and we cannot have, we cannot support a lot of this stuff through our social programs, or social safety nets, uh, extended retirement, right? People are living until their 80s and 90s. I don't think that they're planning on uh, planning on that. My grandmother always used to joke, my grandma, and I know I always talk about my grandmothers, my grandma Alice, right? Uh, she used to joke, hell, had I uh, known I was going to live this long, I would have taken better myself, care of myself and uh, enjoyed myself a little bit longer, a little bit more. Woman only went on one vacation that anyone can tell uh, in her entire life, right? So... Uh, and that was with us, 1993 in Poland, right? Here's another one. This, uh, if you have teenagers, this is uh, maybe we need to do a whole program on this. Uh, I'm actually uh, working my way through a book. Uh, I'm going to have the author on uh, in the very near future, hopefully, on uh, teenage uh, domestic violence. Uh, uh, she's a survivor. Right, so here's one. It's it's a little bit, right? If you have kids, you may want to bring them, or you may want to discuss this, have this on. This was in multiple sources over the last two or three weeks 65% of teenagers are targets of sextortion schemes, says one study. Almost two-thirds of teenagers globally have been targeted for sextortion schemes by criminals seeking to pressure them into sexual activity or extort money, according to recent research. 65% of Gen Z teens and young young adults have been targets of catfishing scams across popular social media platforms or had their personal data hacked by criminals, according to a June 21st by Snapchat's parent company snap incorporated and published by the we protect global alliance so uh this story is from uh the epoch times but it's like i said this has been widely covered uh all over the place so basically this is what i take it they computer or they con you into sending them photos and then they say, uh, you're going to send us more money, more man, money, gift cards, uh, sexual or other personal information in exchange for not releasing the material to the young person's family and friends. Here's the other thing with the deep fake technology we have out there. Hell, your t- teen might not have ever done anything wrong, but guess what? They photoshopped his, uh, his or her face on things. Right. Uh, Uh, you know, a uh, dangerous thing. can parents monitor your uh, kids, what they're doing out there. And we're going to take a little break here and go into uh, some OSHA news. It's going to be shorter for him tonight.
1: You are listening to safety war tomorrow. Safety today. You are listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow's Safety Today.
0: All right, so here we're going to go through our OSHA news releases. They had a couple of them today. U.S. and yesterday, U.S. Department of Labor cites Utah Solar Power Company after inspectors find workers atop snow covered John Sand roof without fall protection. Uh, I'm not going to mention the name of the company as it's not our custom, except by accident we mention it. A company was cited. Time since 2018 for endangering workers. Utah based solar provider allowed employees to work on an icy, snow covered two story roof in Johnstown without legally required fall protection in the late December 2022. After acting on a complaint about workers' safety at risk, the department's OSHA opened an investigation and found that the company ignored fall protection requirements and the company and Health Program. I haven't looked at this. Again, I don't, <coughs> pardon me, I don't look at this ahead of time uh no but this sounds like a willful right uh type thing because it's in the company's safety and health program an on-site manager told an ocean investigator that he did not enforce the safety program for a one-day job well this is part of what it is uh you're with you're talking to an investigator you are a manager even if you're a foreman All right, even if you're a foreman, you're a conservative manager, what you say is the official company policy. So this guy is saying, did not enforce the safety program for a one-day job. In addition to not ensuring the use of fall protection, Ion Solar also did not provide employees on the ground with hard hats to protect them from objects falling from the roof. OSHA cited the company for lack of hard hats, willfully exposing workers to falls with a total proposed penalty of $170,992. Serious and fatal flaws on construction sites occur one day or on day one or day 10, said OSHA area uh, uh, director uh, Amanda Cupper Now this is one of those stories you want to bookmark because, you know, it's like people actually... Say stuff like this. Yeah, people say stuff like this. And people think this way. Uh, scary thing. And of course, my email program is not working. So, uh, give me a second here. All right. And uh, going on $170,000. They do not have. The, uh, oh, here it is. citation. Citation one, item one, serious. No hard hats, $14,733. Citation two, item one, willful, serious. No fall protection, $156,000. With that. So one serious and one willful. Just have to shake your head. U.S. Department of Labor cites Okeechobee, labor contractor, after he dealt claims life of a farm worker in Parkland. This is in Florida on December 31st of last year. A 28-year-old worker arrived from Mexico with his work visa in hand ready to start 2023 a news job at a Parkland farm where vegetables awaited harvesting. The next day, while many enjoyed the New Year's Day holiday, the newly arrived worker was placing wooden stakes in the ground to support bell pepper pa- plants at a farm. Struggling to keep pace with more experienced farm workers, he complained of fatigue and leg pain as the area's heat index near 90 degrees, sometimes later, Later, co-workers found him unresponsive in a shallow drainage ditch. Like several co workers, he experienced symptoms related to heat illness. Again, let's remember, OSHA is looking at coming into this. So, young workers, uh, the first day was the young workers' last day because his employers failed to take simple steps to protect him from heat exposure, a known and dangerous hazard. So, here we go. Uh, the contractor faces $15,625 in proposed penalties. Let's see what they cited them for. Again, I don't look at this. I'm going to guess general duty clause. Citation one, item one, type of violation. Yeah, the guy freaking died. I think it's serious. All right? And it is a general duty clause. Going on, this is probably another one that we want to bookmark here for uh, heat stress. Hold on here. Again, water, rest, water, rest. U.S. Department of Labor settles a whistleblower case against Delaware Salvage Yard that wrongly terminated an employee for reporting safety concerns. Donovan Salvage works to pay fired worker $40,000 in back wages and damages. U.S. Department of Labor has reached a settlement with a Delaware Salvage Yard company and its owner after a federal whistleblower investigation found the company fired a smelter operation uh, for reporting. Uh, I'm sorry, fired a smelter operator for reporting safety concerns. I'm doing this too late, dude. All right. Employers who retaliate against workers uh, raise safety concerns create a potentially dangerous work environment. No employee should fear retaliation or termination. Uh, So uh, what are those, right? The employer, employee alleged the supervisor ignored his concerns and directed him to keep working after he raised concerns. The smelter operator refused. and The supervisor agreed to call technicians to address the issues but directed the employee to go home and tell them he would not be paid for the remainder of the day. Technicians later found later went and fixed the thing he smelled, leaking propane. The employee later contacted OSHA to report the leak after OSHA investigators contacted the yard. Uh, reporting, regarding the reported safety hazard, the owner of the company concluded the employee had called OSHA and decided to fire him in retaliation. In addition to paying uh, the $40,000, the company agreed to remove references to protected activity and negative actions from the employee's personnel file. So, so Sounds like a, uh, no, uh, sounds like uh, no, the, uh, the personnel file is like your permanent record. Yeah, right. You know. Anyone tells you they're going to put it on the permanent record, you'd sell them you're going to put it on their permanent record on the internet. As long as it's true, not too much they could do about it. Provide a neutral job reference, post social whistleblower postings at the worksite and provide whistleblower training to all of their employees. This settlement goes a long way in making the terminated employee whole sends a clear and strong message from the Department of Labor to employers that workers' safety must always be their first concern, said Deputy Regional Solicitor Samantha Thomas in Philadelphia. When employees exercise their right to report unsafe workplace conditions and face any form of retaliation, we will pursue all legal remedies to ensure employees are made whole and employers do not engage in similar conduct in the future. Now, I feel with the next one, I feel like a mother hen here. And there was an article, I lost it, I couldn't find it. Read it earlier this morning, right? Fireworks, right? Uh, No. It's almost like, we got into this with the COVID-19 stuff. It's almost like we're nervous Nellies are mothering people. And maybe that's part of the reason why we're so hated as professionally. Some of us are so hated. You know, I think people know Generally speaking, what the hazards are out there, there's incentives for them uh, not to uh, work safely to do all different types of stuff. Yes, safety wars, right? And things of that nature. I think that's what one of the problems is with all this stuff. So, uh, I don't know. Uh, so we'll go into this story here with that in mind, you know. Do we really have to, it's 2023, do we really have to teach an awareness level? So I know legally and everything else, but fireworks, pyrotechnics, industry employers and strongly encouraged to make worker safety a priority on July 4th, right? And pyrotechnics have been around for a long time, so I tell you what, you want to, you no know, are Places on YouTube and on the internet where you can see people make all the mistakes with fireworks and everything. Uh, OSHA has a lot of stuff out there, including a training video, uh, training video of best practices. Uh, over here in New York and New Jersey, uh, certain levels of fireworks have been made legal. So, uh, in recent years, I don't know what the statistics are. Right, but uh, apparently OSHA cited the floor. Uh, why did they just mention this? Department of Labor. And this is from June twelfth, I believe. We uh, covered this. Department of Labor said, "Site entertainment company in Orlando, fireworks warehouse flames explosion, which uh, four workers were killed." Uh, and this happened in December twenty twenty two and resulted in $109,375 of proposed OSHA penalties. Let's see what they were. Again, citation, I I, I don't read this ahead of time. Citation 1, item 1, it was a serious violation. And again, uh, this was a violation of 1910-109. Magazines used only for storage of black powder Class B and Class C explosives were not rudder resistant, fire resistant, and ventilated. $6,250. Citation one, item two, serious. No written uh, plan of action regarding the implementation of employee participation uh, on this. Uh, uh. This was a Process Safety Management Standard 6250 on that one, Citation 1, Item 3. No written Process Safety Hazard uh, uh, Procedures 15,625. And all Process Safety Management stuff so far. And, uh, uh, no, hazardous environments, equipment and wiring, intrinsically safe equipment. Grand total came out to be $109,375. Remember, they could, no, this stuff gets reduced uh, on here.
1: Okay, hold on.
0: Okay, here we have, I'm not going to mention the author here, but there is a lot of commentary about this article out there, uh, if you read the comments. So it's important. you got to realize a lot of this stuff out there is hyperbole. What does hyperbole mean? It means that you're exaggerating. It's a form of exaggeration to get an, elicit an emotional response, basically. Uh that's how I define that at least. And here we have here, right? Uh hyperbole with this article. It's by uh gentleman Jordan Barab. I'm sure he only had good intentions here. Uh this is uh blah, 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 right. Worker dies of heat stroke six days after Abbott signs a bill repealing heat protections. That's Governor Abbott. Right, Texas. Less than a week after Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed a bill that will repeal measures in Austin and Dallas to protect workers against heat-related illness, a worker has died in Texas from heat stroke. Okay, now, let's put this together here, right? The signature on that bill, right? So that law, law does not take effect until September 1st. Right? Number one. So the law hasn't taken effect yet, but just with that first sentence, the reader is left with the impression that Governor Abbott is protect is no that because of his signature on that bill, passing the law, the legislature passing it, that it's his fault. Right? With that. That's what the impression is. So what happens? Officials say a utility lineman from West Virginia working to restore power in Texas has died. Uh, workers' death has been attributed to heat-related illnesses. Uh, so Austin and Dallas, where this gentleman was playing, wherever it was, right? Require rest breaks of water for construction workers to protect them against heedlessness. Okay, great. Sounds good. The Death Star Bill will repeal those protections. Now it gets into where Now we're about 150 words into it. We'll repeal these protections on September 1st because, according to the bill's sponsors, Texas businesses are unable to deal with hodgepodge with different requirements in different cities. So basically, every city has their own rules. All right, it's basically what it comes down to. The article goes on with some good information on this. Now, here's my question for you. According to reports, they were requiring the worker to take every four hours to take 10 minutes rest break for heat. okay. Has any of these people writing these articles ever worked in the heat? That's my question for you. Well, Jim, what do you mean? What do you mean? If you're out there working in the heat, you're going to be drinking, especially uh, you know, on the types of jobs I did when I was younger, you're going to be drinking a lot of water. I mean, a ton of uh, gallons of water. Yeah, right. If you take one of our first aid CPR classes, we go in and we discuss heat stress. Your body can only absorb about, or no, about eight ounces of water every twenty minutes. That's why they tell you drink eight ounces of water every twenty minutes. Right? That's what it is. Can your body sweat out more than that and need more than twenty-four hours an ounce uh, ounces of water an hour? What do you think the question is on that? Hell yes. And what happens is you often, if you don't keep up with the drinking, you go into a deficit and you're not going to be able to recover very quickly. So every four hours, taking a 10-minute break, that's, that's got to be the absolute minimum for this. Now, Some of the co- things is, well, OSHA doesn't have a heat stress uh, uh, standard. Okay, great. Under general duty clause, which is, Enforce ex post facto, meaning after the fact. Okay, it's ineffective. OSHA has a hard time uh, doing, you know, doing that sort of thing. Very difficult to do. Takes a lot of time and effort to do that, but it's, uh, you know, here. And then at the end of it here. End of the article. I realized that the linemen would not have been covered by the specific protections that Abbotsville would repeal. Oh, well, that's would have been nice, had you said, right? He wasn't covered by the protections issued in Alice, Austin or Dallas, and the Death Star bill doesn't become effective until September 1st. But a reasonable legislature legislator or governor might have said to themselves, hey, maybe instead of dragging Austin and Dallas back to the low standards that are killing workers in the rest of the state, we should save lives by bring the rest of the state up to the standards of Austin and Dallas. I tell you what, okay, mate, might you have saved some lives with every four hours taking 10 minutes out? Yeah, but I can tell you what, if it's really hot out there, not gonna happen. That's going to do very, very little uh, to do things. Again, how much do you drink? Right. Twenty-four ounces an hour. Here's another one here. The bike helmet debate rages on. This is out of Australia. And I tell you what, if we're, uh, so we're safety professionals here, this, and this might be uh, something to think about. A recent study found that drivers viewed cyclists wearing a helmet or safety vest as less human. This is from Yahoo Uh, Finance. Oh, I don't know what country this is from, though. A recent study, this research revealed. So, anyone, this is from Australia, but the uh, article is, I believe, Yahoo Canada Finance. And anyone who's bicycled on car dominated streets know how unwelcome drivers can make them feel, but basic measures, cyclists can protect you, they protect themselves in case of an accident could actually be hurting them. A recent study conducted in Australia conducted in Australia by academics, at Queensland University and Flinders University, found that bicyclists who wear helmets or safety vests might be putting themselves more at risk than if they had gone without safety attire. Researchers found that cyclists wearing helmets or vests are viewed as less human than those without any safety gear on. They surveyed 563 people, asking them to answer a questionnaire using photos of people in both cycling-specific attire and regular clothing to assess perceptions of dehumanization. Eight different photos, four of a man and woman, showed a model standing with a bicycle wearing either no safety gear, a baseball cap, a helmet, or eye-visibility vest. Respondents also rated bicyclists on a dehumanization scale, placing them somewhere between a bug and a human. Oh, wow, that's <laughs> mark that quote. And they answered other questions relating to behavior and demographics. They surveyed, uh, the, those surveys said that a man or woman wearing high visibility vests look least human, while those wearing no gear were seen as most human. And uh, those who view cyclists as less than human are more likely to be a threat to cyclists on the streets. A 27, 2019 study found a link between dehumanization and aggressive driving around cyclists. Here's my question maybe it's the lycra. Uh, again, Back in my younger days, and I keep kicking myself here, one of my big uh, regrets, I'm not riding my bike as much as I used to. I tell you, my favorite things. I mean, I used to ride thousands of miles a year. So uh, maybe it's the not the helmet, but maybe it's uh, something else there were. A bug? A bug? Really? All right. Uh... Going on about this, uh, I'm watching here another story from Yahoo. Debris recovered from the submersible that catastrophically imploded while on a voyage to see Titanic wreckage last week contained presumed human remains, the Coast Guard said. Salvage pieces of the Titan vessel were unloaded from the Canadian ship Horizon Arctic at the Canadian Coast Guard pier in St. John's, Newfoundland, Wednesday morning. So, uh, rest in peace, everybody. I mean, it's, I mean, a lot of people are commenting on this uh, here with this. Uh, I don't know. We'll uh, ward we'll it out. I'm interested in reading the final report. So, that's all I got here tonight on Safety Wars. I'm looking forward to being here again tomorrow, and uh, we'll uh, see you tomorrow. Nope of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by
1: any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. <laughs>